Dystopia tonight. Dude, when you came to my family's house the other night, they could not stop talking about because we're I, again. I mean, you're you're Italian, but you're also a, a freak of you're a giant Italian. You're like, I know that's my yeah. father's side mixed in that I'm oh. not like all my wife's family is all tiny Italian, and I look yeah. like that. Ma, I do look like I am FIFO bumming <laughs> my way around the place. I get it. Yeah, get my it. entire family member felt like they had to pay a toll that day when you walked into the house. <laughs> they were like, "Is he not going to let us out if we don't give him money?" I don't know. He's blocking the doorway. Roll Tom's roll like six eleven. I'm five four. So, and we... so is my the rest of my family. We're all very tiny people. We didn't stand a chance. Um, it's true. It's but true. speaking of people who are larger than life, uh, uh, we have a guest on that I am uh, ecstatic to have on. He has been a part of television history for decades. Uh, he's a comedy legend. Um, he has produced, he's the creator of Laugh-In. He's produced multiple television specials. Um, friends with Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, John Denver, Jim Henson, Robin Williams, Goldie Hawn. Just, I mean, the list is endless. If I honestly, if I sat here and listed his credits for the, like we would, the hour would be over. And we would have to do another show with him, which I would not mind, by the way. Um, so let's not waste any time and let's bring out our guest, George Slaughter. Glad to be here. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. You're 40 years old? I'm I'm 38 years old. Okay. <laughs> All right. Not to tell me I have ties older than that. <laughs> you're doing good. I like your show. And uh, hang in there and you're going to get another job. <laughs> After this is over. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, if you, you okay. know what, I can, I can model those ties for you if you don't mind. What do you want to talk about? I would, I got to tell you, man, I would love to find out. I mean, I feel like it's a, it's a very uh, um, basic question, but I have to find out. You went into comedy. Comedy was your forte when you started. That's what you like to produce. That's what you kind of curated and created. Where did the comedy element come from for you? Was it when you were little? Did you have any? family members that were super funny what was the trajectory into comedy for you i think it was that the, nothing else seemed to work <laughs> <laughs> and i was i was a singer so that immediately put me into comedy you know? wow uh it was just a treat it, it just seemed to me that that was where it went and my mother laughed and my family whole family loved to laugh so i got lucky yeah it was what were you were you basically were you trying to make your parents were you trying to make your mom laugh i feel like that's where a lot of comedians start is if they can get the attention of their mother i was trying to be a singer and that made my mother laugh so <laughs> I was a concert violinist my aunt was a concert pianist wow I studied opera and all of that stuff and uh and then uh it seemed to me the logical place to go after i was singing was to go into comedy beautiful best thing best thing you can do is comedy we need more. You know? Absolutely. Wonderful conventions. I mean, we need other comedy too. Oh, uh, it's it's getting it's getting to the point where you can't even tell what's farce and what isn't farce anymore. You know, it's all farce. <laughs> it's not, have you been watching the conventions? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, they give you an update every ten minutes, and it's now going to be a dead heat, dead race, and we're going to finish. This guy's going to lose it. This guy's going. I mean, it's it's amazing. It's, uh, yeah political scene is pitiful when you were when you were doing laughing what was the political i mean obviously there's a difference in political climate between now and then but when you were doing laughing what was the political climate like did you feel pressure to comment on what was going on laughing was an accident to begin with 
Mm-hmm. Uh, NBC had a Monday night at eight o'clock. They had Gunsmoke and Lucy. And those were the top two shows. And the NBC had this eight o'clock Monday night, and nobody was watching NBC at all. Right. And so, uh, so it was a great place to do a comedy show because nobody was looking. So I uh, went in with a show that uh, had no names, no uh, no format. It was just funny. And uh, it was cheap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so NBC said, oh, I'll give him a shot. So we came in with this show of all new young character people. There were no names on the show. And uh, when NBC saw this pilot, they said, what the hell did you do? I said, well, it's funny. this." So you laughed. And I uh, they said, well, you can't put that on the air. They said, it's too. We said, we'll be right back. And then we went to Black and came back and said, see, we told you we'd be right back. They said, you're telling the audience to, to go away. I said, no, I told the audience to come right back. So there were things like that that we disagreed about, you know. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and those disagreements became part of the comedy. And uh, if you remember that, 1968, whatever, we were into some political mess, not like we're into now. Right. Uh, act strangely enough, this is a great era for comedy. You know. Yes. Or, or do you ever? Did you ever see uh, Donald Trump's golf game? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and but it just seemed NBC had nothing else to put on Monday night at eight o'clock. We came in there with this wild, absolutely no names, and it was just uh, it was a, a lost leader. They just put it on the air to get rid of it and to put something on opposite Lucy. And we came on, and uh, and they looked at the first show. They said, this isn't a television. This doesn't make any sense. I said, right. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so uh, just because they had nothing else, they put it on the air. And the audience looked at it like, what the hell are you doing? But by the second week, third week, the audience started to say, wait a minute. This is something new and different. And they were all just people you never heard of. Right. And, uh, uh, And it worked. Went on the air. It was funny. We had a good time. It was just a big adult playpen. Was that was that a goal of yours to get people that you'd never heard of before? Did you see something in each in the, each of those cast members that you thought, yes, this is actually going to work, or were you just like, let's see what happens? Well, it was. I, I could sell an hour show and get <laughs> for it. Right. And, uh, but and the names you couldn't afford to buy a name, so we went out and we found all of these. Artie Johnson was selling suits at Carol's. And uh, Henry Gibson was a preacher, and uh, uh, Joanne Worley, I don't know what the hell she was doing, and mm-hmm. Goldie on a series, and uh, that didn't work. And Goldie was a dancer. Right. And, uh, uh, I had her uh, come up to meet me. Our, Carolyn Raskin, who was the woman who developed most of the editing techniques that are alive today, uh, said, yeah. you've got to see this girl, little girl. So I said, uh, so Goldie came up and sat in this big red leather chair. And uh, I said, well, you're terrific. She said, but I don't do comedy. I'm a dancer. I said, yeah, close enough. So anyway, we gave her introductions of Dan Rowan. And she screwed up the introduction so bad. And I got to get to the director before he was saying cut. I'd never, ever cut this woman. And uh, so we said, all right, we'll do it again. And she screwed it up the second time, even worse. And I said, never, ever, ever say cut to this woman again. And never let her rehearse. Wow. And so, you know, Goldie never got to see her parts. But it was a lot of that stuff that was lucky, you know. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it, and it was a bunch of adult children playing. And uh, Ron and Martin did a great nightclub act, but they, it was their last gig. They were going to split up because nothing was really happening. 
they came in and their confusion worked. And we, we, they went out and we just let them talk and talk and talk. And after about two and a half minutes of talking, we sit later that same evening in another part of town and we cut to the end of what they were talking about. And that was their monologue. It worked. It just, it was a fun, happy playground. We used to tape till two, three o'clock in the morning. And, uh, um, anything that worked was, was uh, left in. <laughs> Do you have any of those, uh, extra, extra tapes or anything that you guys have left over that you haven't shown the public yet? You don't understand. I aired the outtakes. That was <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you think I've got a bin full of Goldie Hawn screwing up in the introductions? No, no, we aired everything. And we would come in to tape the show and then, uh, Say, okay, now we would go out and tape some other stuff. And, wow. uh, um, and it, see, it was a, at a time when my own irreverence and my own, uh, uh, I'd done some straight variety and so forth, and my own uh, impatience with the medium. I wanted to do something else, and I needed a place to go. <laughs> and uh, so we brought that show in, and NBC said, we can't air this. This isn't a television show. This makes no sense. I said, right. And uh, so uh, we aired the first one, and everybody was stunned. They didn't know what it was because it was so fast. It doesn't seem fast today. But when you go into 1968, it was really fast. And uh, we put it on the air. By the third week, uh, everybody was talking about it. At that point, you were opposite Lucy Ball and Gunsmoke, the number one and number two show in all of television. Right. And uh, nobody was getting any rating at all opposite them. And so every week, we had Artie Johnson, the little German. Say good night, Lucy. We missed your show tonight. Right? We were opposite her. They said, "Why are you directing, directing attention to the Lucille Ball show?" I said, "The world is watching the Lucille Ball show. It's no surprise." And uh, so, by the third week, people were starting to watch us, and we stayed on for a long, long time. Yeah, and you kind of you you basically paved the way for other variety shows um, of that of that kind of genre and ilk. Do you do you like any of the stuff that's going on today? Do you watch it? Do you try to keep up with it? Not really. We've kind of lost. I mean, now the, the variety shows are the late night shows are dirty and the, uh, the subject matter. And uh, you don't need that. You don't need to say all that. You just need to have a good time. See, we need we need a Robin Williams. Mm -hmm. We need accident. That's what we need. I was on the streets. San Francisco I was up there doing a show and there was this young man wearing coveralls, overalls, and he was mm -hmm. barefoot. He had a straw hat and uh, he had a fishbowl and he was out there and he said, I'm fishing for assholes. And I looked at and, and here was Robin Williams. And I said, come on in and see me because he, you know, he, he was not a professional comic. He was on the street. Right. And he came in and we put him out there and we just let him do stuff. We put him out there. Before anybody had seen him, we put Robin out with Rob with uh, uh, Frank Sinatra. Well, Sinatra looked at him like, who is this man? And we put him with Tina Turner and all of these people. And they'd never seen anything like Robin Williams. Because, right. see, there was an intelligence about Robin. He graduated, didn't graduate from Juilliard. They asked him to leave after his junior year. Oh, they wow. Said, they said, uh, there's nothing more for us to teach you. Mm. And so they really didn't expel him. <laughs> I said, you've got to leave now and go do something. So we got him right out of Juilliard, and his knowledge and his vocabulary and uh, his interests were so magnificent. And so mm -hmm. we put him out there with everybody. Put him out there with, with uh, you know, 
as I said, with Ronald Reagan, yeah. <laughs> with Nixon. And people looked at Robin Williams. Can you imagine the first time you ever saw Robin Williams? You hadn't seen him on television. Right. And he came out and he started doing these characters. And uh, it was just, he was brilliant. You know what I noticed too? There's a um, a sensitivity that Robin had, you know, like an, like it that would come across even in his comedy and, and like a very empathetic kind of nature. Do you think that's kind of missing from comedy today? There's a lot missing from comedy today. Mm. Uh, we've, we've, uh, we know the language, the new freedoms of what you can say on television. You don't need to use the F word. You can find other alternatives. But I look at it today, and I'm not really thrilled with it. I'm getting ready to try one more shot. And oh, uh, uh, David Steinberg, who is Robin Williams' manager, yep. I had a meeting with him the other day. I said, David, come on, let's do another thing. He said, no, there's no place to do it. Well, that is the reason to do it. Absolutely. And, uh, there's a, there's a need now, and uh, uh, nobody takes any chances. Everything is so safe today. Yep. You know, we're talking about John Denver. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I love John Denver. I'm a huge fan. Man, Elliot, Elliot Weissman, and Elliot Weissman came to me and said, uh, Frank Sinatra wants to do a show with John Denver. I said, oh, that, that's great. He said, doesn't want, he'll do anything you say. The only thing is, he wants to do the show with John Denver, and he doesn't want to do any retakes, and he'll do anything you say. Wow. Whoa, whoa, what's that? So uh, we laid out his show with John Denver and Frank Sinatra singing each other's songs. It was amazing. It was amazing. Frank looked at John Denver, and they were just uh, like two children out there. And that show went on the air and uh, exploded. It did, did a lot. And he said, the only thing is, Frank doesn't want to do any retakes, everything in one take. I wow. Said, well, Sure, right? That's fine. Knowing that you can't do a whole hour television show all in one take. And so I said, sure. I didn't mean it, but I said, oh, sure. So we're doing the show with John Denver and Frank Sinatra, and uh, it's great. Man, it's just perfect. They're singing all of Frank's songs, and it was great. But in the middle of this, Frank hits a clam that will go down in history. You couldn't believe the note. I don't know where he found that note. And everybody said, don't say anything. Don't. I said, hey, man, I heard this. The note terrible. He said, no, we promised, we promised, no retakes. Wow. And so everybody's standing around saying, wow. That was, and it was great, except for that big one, though. Yeah. And uh, so I'm just standing there, and Frank said, well, I said, hmm? I said, well, what do you think? I said, everybody's waiting. What are we going to do? Because it was a terrible notice. Said, yeah. I like almost all of it. Well, the place froze because <laughs> it made an absolute <laughs> firm irrevocable commitment that it was going to no retakes. So uh, Frank said, uh, did you hear it? I said, yeah. Oh. He said, uh, was it bad? I said, yeah. He said, no, he, he turns to ice, man. It was a frightening thing to see. He said, you mean to tell me you want to do it over? No, no, the temperature in the building really dropped. And I said, no, I think maybe you want to do it over. Oh, man. <laughs> and uh, Frank looked at me, and it seemed to me like for an hour and a half, it was just this cold, icy stare. He said, I'll give you four bars on either side of it. Wow. Said, you got it, Cheech. And four bars out, and it was gone. And uh, we heard that whole thing. It was a great, great show with John. And he, was a, he was a good actor, too, though, right? Oh, yeah, he was a great actor, and he and he loved to laugh. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, And he... He uh, uh, he loved jokes and he loved, but you had to be very careful. <laughs> I mean, right, do the wrong jokes about the wrong people, and uh, mm-hmm. 
Um, but he, he, once he got, once you made him laugh, you know, he committed one time to do a all uh, commercial for all Nippon Airways. And I said, guys, I'm not, I don't do commercials. I'm not going to do that. They said, but Frank's going to do this. He wants you. I said, no, please, I don't want to do it. So I looked, they said, they said, take one meeting. So I took a meeting and they laid out the most complicated commercial you've ever seen in your life. Mm-hmm. And it was not, and it was, the commitment was for four days uh, for the commercial and four hours for something else. And I said, guys, I think you're looking at uh, maybe 30 minutes. Well, all these Japanese people learn to speak English real fast. 30 minutes? Are you crazy? He's getting a million dollars in 30 minutes? He promised. I said, guys, he's not going to do that. I said, what I did, I said, we'll put a stand-in wearing exactly what Frank's going to wear, stand in the same, look like Frank, do the whole commercial with a stand-in until you get it just the way you want it, then we'll duplicate that. Wow. They said, well, that's not the way. I said, if you want, <laughs> if you want Frank, if you want me, that's the way it's going to be. So uh, we set it out, and Frank came in, and we had the whole place full of all these geisha girls meeting him as he came in from he said, that's a good idea, crazy. That's fine. So uh, he comes out of the dressing room. He says, can I leave now? I said, Frank, you know, four hours. What do you mean leave? No, you just got here. So anyhow, he came out and we started taping. We taped commercial. Then when he walked to the next set, we you know, each one of these sets was a different part of the commercial. Wow. And it was going pretty good. And we got almost a, almost a, one more shot to go. I said, okay, one last take. And Frank says, you're not going to get it. Wow. The whole thing is this one shot. He says, do do it. I said, Frank, I can't do it. You you have to do this one last take. He said, I'm not going to do it. He would do that. He would test you, you know. Mm -hmm. I I don't know why I said it, but I said, don't make me hurt you. (laughs) (laughs) It was a stroke of genius because he looked at me like he'd slapped him and he said, would you hurt me? I said, if I don't get this shot, I'll have to hurt So he said, please, I don't want to get hurt. Finish the, finish the thing. It was exactly, it was exactly the thing. Wow. And, and the commercial won awards. Yeah. So anyhow, but he was an adventure all of the time. He was something. He was, I loved him. Yeah. Boy, he, he was something. And you got to work with Dean Martin as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Dean, uh, they lived down the street from us on Mountain Drive, and uh, he was a puppy. He was a he was a play. He was a man child, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, we took my daughter over there. And Dean would be playing the guitar, and she didn't want him to play the guitar. Don't sing. Don't sing. No canta. No canta. Right. <laughs> so she no no. We want to hear Dean sing. Dean was a puppy. Dean was the best audience in the world, mm-hmm. and he had a good time. And Frank loved him. Yeah. And we all loved him. Dean was a, a real adventure. He was a lovely, lovely, funny man. And a hell of a singer, too. But uh, And he, he moved well. It was, Dean, Dean was very special. He was a very interesting, good friend, and uh, and a very, very funny man. And a, a lovely, lovely singer. Yeah. And, and as far as the rap back goes, did Frank... Was it true that Dean never really listened to, like, Frank could tell everybody else what to do, but if Dean wanted to be done, Dean was done? Well, uh, that's kind of true. I mean, you you wanted whatever Dean wanted to do sounds good to me. Yeah. uh, uh, What were you going to do? Tell Dean, let's do another one. They would come out, and if 
what would happen when Dean did the show, his producer, Greg Garrison, would uh, uh, send Dean a script, and Dean would take the script out when he was playing golf. They had a, a woman that would read Dean's part, and he wow. could hear the script, hear the script, but he never rehearsed it. And so he'd show up on stage, and he knew exactly what it was going to be because he'd heard it all. And everybody said that Dean didn't rehearse and didn't do it. No, he just he just showed up and did it. And uh, and it was wild to watch, you know, because he'd just show up on stage. And uh, and if it was a mistake, see, mistake, we would cherish mistakes on Dean, with John Laffin. Those mistakes were gold. And, mm -hmm. uh, today they do retakes, retakes, and uh, uh, it's a different world today. Nobody could get by with what we did back then. Right. Yeah, everything's very structured today and very, you know, even when even when they try to manufacture mistakes and accidents, you can just tell it's fake. How did you get Nixon to say Sokka to me? One of the writers on the show was Paul Keyes, who was a very close friend of Richard Nixon. Mm -hmm. He needed something to do that first show with. I said, uh, uh, so Paul Keyes said, can you get, I said, can you get Nixon? He said, yeah, I said, we'll get him for me, too. I was not a big Nixon fan, by the right. way. But, uh, so we got Nixon to come. We, all the advisors of Richard Nixon were on one end of the studio saying he can't do this. We were at the other end of the studio. We'd already taped it. We said, just say sock it to me. Sock it to me. No, 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 Mr. Nixon. If you got to smile, sock it to me. Yes, he said, comedy's new thing, new for me. And uh, so he finally said sock it to me. We took that tape. We ran like a porch climber back to NBC and put it on the air the next night. And with Richard Nixon to say socket to me was a stunning thing that happened. And uh, the next day, everybody you know, said he was funny. We didn't know how funny he was until later. Right. <laughs> really how funny Nixon was. 75 million people voted for, for Donald Trump. I know. But having, having basically seen it all, though, do you, what do, you, what do, you, do you feel hopeful? about anything in particular or about where we're headed? Uh, well, I'm, I'm always hopeful because there's going to be somebody show up with something, you know, but uh, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. I mean, uh, I like Biden, but the man is 80 years old. Yeah. And, uh, and you got to remember, 75 million people voted Donald Trump. That's a lot of people. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and uh, he, could, he could do it again. It's dangerous. He could do it again. Do you, do you, I don't know if you guys felt that way, you know, back then about comedy and satire, but do you think comedy can change the minds of people and kind of influence things politically? Or do you think comedy is strictly just jokes, laughter, and a cathartic kind of uh, release? Well, not only, not only can comedy change things, but comedy must change things because that's going to be our answer. Uh, we need it. Mm -hmm. Baby born, you don't have to teach it how to eat, sleep, smile, or laugh. Mm -hmm. Cry or laugh. And the rest of its life, you tell it what to eat, when to sleep, not to cry, and to be careful of what it laughs at. For a child, you can look at a bright child, and that child is laughing. You don't know what he's laughing at. You know, we figured it out since we had Trump as president. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, be ready for that, that man. Did you see this guy playing golf? Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. we had diarrhea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if I was if I was running the Democratic Party, I would run that shot all day. He went off to play golf, and, uh, and oh. Oh. but 
anyhow, it's going to work itself out if we work it out. The I comics, think so, yeah. yeah. The comics are the, are the ones that can make you laugh. And when yeah. you're laughing, you don't throw a punch or shoot a gun. I, can, I completely agree, man. Um, I want to talk to you about some of the other variety shows and the specials that you have done, because you got to work with people like Judy Garland, uh, Dinah Shore, Steve Lawrence, uh, Lucille Ball, uh, and the uh, Lucille Ball and the Elephant is another classic. What was the most, was there anything that you thought at the time when you were working with any one of those people that like, oh, this is going to be really hard to do? Or was it just always excitement all the way through? Well, if it wasn't hard to do, we made it hard to do. I mean, uh, 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 Judy Garland was... Uh, was an adventure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, I I wanted to sign to do the show before I met her. I, I, I said, I don't know how to audition for this woman. Mm-hmm. So I'd been assigned to do the show, and they had a meeting that night in the building, and I was there. They said, come on downstairs. And I walked in, there was Judy Garland. Wow. And I mean, she was tiny, you know, but the image was awesome. And I don't know why. I said, uh, I don't care what you may have heard about me. There's no truth to the rumor that I'm difficult. <laughs> and she said, you're difficult? I said, see, even you've heard it. And, <laughs> and I don't know why. I don't know why. But it broke the ice. And uh, we went on from there. We did. It was great. She came out and uh, uh, they promised that she would come to New York and appear in front of all of the CBS affiliates. Wow. And so uh, she said, I don't know what to say. I can't go out there. She said, I'm terrified. She said, so uh, we wrote her a song. Uh, 1,100 CBS affiliates were sitting there, and here came Judy Garland. And the song we gave her to sing is, Call Me Irresponsible, Call Me Unreliable, Call Me Undependable Too, I Won't Take a Powder I Can't Afford To. Well, Mm -hmm. 1,100 affiliates absolutely collapsed. And uh, from there on, we were home. And uh, we never got her to do retakes. We never, she'd come in and just perform. So Judy Garland was an adventure. Uh, but then so was Cher, you know? Yeah. A lot of fun with Cher. <clears throat> when you're working with all these personalities, um, are you are you trying to figure out what not to do, or are you just in, like, producer-director mode, and you're like, look, we got to get the best performance out of these people as possible. I don't care about ego. Yes to all of the above. Uh, <laughs> I, um Danger is a very exciting emotion, mm. and uh, Judy was dangerous. Uh, Frank was dangerous, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but we, but they were, they were for that danger, that adventure was part of the magic. And, right. uh, uh, Dean was a puppy, you know, and uh, but Frank, Frank, Frank was dangerous. And Sammy, Sammy Davis, you know, we had a lot of fun with Sammy. So it's a different world now today. Uh, everybody's got their own thing and they show up and they just do the show and uh, uh, it's not the adventure we had. I'm not too sure that they'd let you do it again. But they didn't let us do it. They didn't let us do it then. Right. We just showed up and did it and they said, what the hell is this? Well, you didn't get the memo? <laughs> no. Yeah. We would just show up and uh, with Judy Garland. We never we never rehearsed on stage. We wow. just showed up and we, we we showed up and she came in and did the show, and oh uh, it was a, it was a free fall, it was an adventure. It really it does feel like, especially when I watch stuff back then. You know, it, it does feel like you guys had um, uh, 
just like just experience wise, like just a lot of fun with what you were doing. But like, it seemed like you guys didn't care, but you know, you did. You had a real appreciation for being in show business. Whereas now I feel like when I watch people, they seem even the award shows, they seem like they're entitled to be there. Like, of course, I'm here getting an award or of course I'm on stage or whatever. When I watch all those guys from back then, they seem like they know they're lucky, you know? Well, we we were laughing for instance as an example. We left the outtakes in. Laughing right. was an accident. And Judy Garland was an accident. And mm -hmm. uh, um, Dean and Frank and Sammy were an accident. And uh, mm -hmm. accident is kind of exciting, you know, it's like a, a skydive. Yeah. Uh, and now today, people go through the agent and the manager and the press agent, and they tell you what you're going to do, and they could, and, uh, but they would show up. I mean, when we did a show with, with Dean Martin and uh, with uh, Goldie, mm -hmm. and it was just delightful. They talked about who was the dumbest. And, <laughs> and, and so, That's your accent, but I really am dumb. <laughs> and there's this woman winning an Academy Award, and it was we made her dumb. We we did terrible things to her when she was made rude noises, and she she was easily diverted. Right, uh, and then Ruth Buzzy was this character woman. Mm -hmm. all ages. Uh, her audition was at playing a, a little piano in the in Xerox room, and um, uh, she she just sang. And here's this woman singing all of these obscure songs. That was the deal. Because we see, none of those people got a job anywhere else because they had all been up for jobs. They were all in the in the talent pool, but nobody right. was hiring. Ruth Buzzy, who did characters, Artie Johnson, who did voices, Joanne Worley, who sang uh, opera, you know, sideways, and uh, Alan Seuss, who was this outrageous, irreverent guy, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Lily Tomlin. Oh. Lily Tomlin uh, had done three series. They all got canceled, and this, this was her last show. She came to see me, and she came and sat down in the room, and and we sat there for three hours and she did all of these wonderful characters. And she said, which one do you want to do? I said, I want to do them all. And nice. uh, we did. And so she did the Ernestine, the phone operator. Mm. And uh, because of the way we taped, we could stop, change costumes, do another one and do another character. Yeah. She made a call to uh, uh, William F. Buckley, William F. Buckley, she called <laughs> Mr. <laughs> F Buckley, right? And uh, when we hit the letter F, we always kind of leaned on that, you know, look that up in your funk and wagnall, you know? And uh, <laughs> so, so uh, Lily, Lily came in, Lily came in and they called William F Buckley, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, we that night when she left the studio, we knew she was a star. Wow. And the same with Goldie. Goldie was just amazing, amazing as was uh, Joanne Worley and Sarah, Sarah <laughs> came in, right? Here comes Sarah Purcell. She'd been uh, um, uh, a weather girl in San Diego. Wow. And then she worked with Regis Philbin. Mm -hmm. That's the job in the mortician. Because, I mean, Regis is not the most exciting. And uh, <laughs> Sarah, came in, Sarah came in, and uh, there was no audition. Just today, today, I don't think any producer has that kind of freedom. Uh, I mean, I got by with murder. Right. Out, and uh, they didn't really take me seriously. You know, uh, they didn't think I, I meant it. 
Right. And we did. We, uh, <laughs> we, oh, uh, we did. We came in with uh, uh, Ed McMahon. I mean, all the people that we brought, brought in uh, um, were not the normal variety show people. And that was right. a lot. And uh, as a result, you were fascinated to see what the hell are they going to do with this. Yeah. And uh, we got lucky. There's a lot of luck involved. I wish they took those kind of chances today because it's always anybody that comes out on television. About you, what's it, a chance? That's true. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's true. Thank, yeah, you're right. You did. Thank you. You would have to be a gambler in your little shirt there with all the buttons. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, what are you, nine? How did you get this job? <laughs> you know, I so, wanted it a bingo game, sir. How, I, how did you get this job to sit there and talk to idiot people about uh, idiotic things. How did you get this job? He, yeah, he's not, I don't know what, I, he, I picked him, uh, uh, you know, out of a lotto, and uh, that's it. <laughs> and I that opened up it. a fortune cookie, and here I am. God, I wish this was vodka. I w- <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell me a little bit about working with Nat King Cole, because he's another one of those guys that I loved, and I, and I, and I, anytime he did anything, I was always uh, enamored with it. Nat Cole was working in, uh, in a little club on the Tiffany Room uh, uh, down south side of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was working at Ciro's, booking the acts and Ciro's and so forth. And I put the order. I said, this guy works down there. And in graduation, I want to put him into Ciro's. And uh, they said, well, why? He's not known, right? Because at that point, black artists didn't work on the Sunset Strip. Right. And so I booked uh, Nat Cole. And... Uh, I said, the kids love him. And so by the night of the opening, uh, I look around and there's nobody there and there's no reservations. <laughs> another, <laughs> another chance I took, and I convinced the owner, Nat Cole's got a big following. Nobody was there. And, uh, and within about 30 minutes, they started to arrive because it was graduation. And Nat came in and played. And what we would do is... Uh, he would, at 2 o'clock in the morning, you had to close the saloon. It mm-hmm. couldn't go face past 2 o'clock. And, uh, but I had enough on the bartender to send him to jail or whatever. We would have all our d'oeuvres and champagne. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, we would lock the doors, and Nat Cole would sit down and just play. And it was just a wow. delight. And uh, he, he was very special. He was a very special friend. Yeah. Uh, uh, but we got lucky with a lot of those people. You know, Pearl Bailey. Pearl mm-hmm. Bailey uh, uh, was uh, she. Pearl Bailey was uh, a racy kind of a comedian. Did you ever hear her? I have, yeah. Yeah, and uh, she had one thing she said almost If I can't sell it, I'm gonna sit down on it because I ain't giving nothing away. Well, <laughs> <laughs> they came and said you can't say that. I said no, no, it's a chair she's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it, a lot of it was smoke and mirrors. A lot of it, I should have been a matador because we got by with a lot. Of it. Nobody really, got to it. yeah. But it worked, and see, once it worked, then you then you were a genius. If it didn't work, you're an idiot. You know? Oh yeah, and I experienced both. Oh. <laughs> What was the thing? I watched a documentary um, that came out actually a while ago about the uh, premiere of the Muppet Show or the first start of the Muppet Show. You were involved with the pilot, and you were you you had met Jim Henson or you knew Jim Henson beforehand, right? Yeah, I knew Jim, and I did the pilot. 
did. We you did do the pilot. Did, did the pilot for the Muppet Show, and uh, Lou Grade in England was a major, major power, and he wanted to do the show, so uh, they took the pilot, and that's the show. And Jim Henson was a good guy, and it was a hell of a pilot, and I wish I wish I had the money they made on that show, but it's just I didn't really want to make a big deal out of it because I love Jim Henson. The idea of doing a variety show with Muppets, puppets, yeah, was pretty far from a real possibility. So I didn't yeah. think I'd go that much. But I had a right. good time with Jim Henson. I had a good time with Lou Gray. You know, yeah. cost me a lot of money, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> but at that point, at that point, everything was an adventure. At that point, uh, for instance, we we were on what they call rate card one. It was a very very low rate. But at that point, nobody ever taped past six o'clock at night. And I came in and we were taping through two, three o'clock in the morning. But the rates we were paying was the bottom, bottom rate. And they wanted, they didn't want me to do that anymore. So they keep coming down and complaining. And uh, the fact that we didn't have guest stars like guest stars, John Wayne, I got a whole thing of John Wayne saying he's not going to do the show. We put that on here. <laughs> not gonna do this show, I told you. I'm not. And we have a whole thing of John Wayne saying not gonna do this show. <laughs> and, 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 so I mean, nobody ever aired their rejection that way, you know. And uh, but it's all about it's all about going a different way. It's all about surprising. It's all about taking chances. And uh, I don't see. I, I watched Dave Chanel the other Dave Chappelle the other night, mm-hmm. and I loved it. I think he is so bright and so attractive and so funny. Yes. I did yeah. not understand what he was talking about. I mean, it was a twenty-minute monologue, and charming guy and, mm-hmm. and attractive and whatever. But that's not comedy to me, you know. Right. Uh, right. Um, you didn't even and, find you, you didn't find it offensive. You just didn't think it was well put together. Well, well, you know, he did some stuff about the, uh, the guy that talked about the Jews. Kanye. Well, yeah. 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 Okay, so, right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> sure. Well, who else are you going to talk about, right? <laughs> but, but, uh, uh, <laughs> if you didn't have Jews, you wouldn't have any show business. Exactly. Any <laughs> That's but, the, yeah. the the craziest thing about that to me is is if you just know the history, right? You understand that the reason why all the Jews went into show business in the first place is because they blocked them out. They couldn't get jobs anywhere else. They, it was all racism. They, they could not get hired in any other field doing anything else. And and the Jews went and built show business from the ground up. So, of course, Absolutely what do you right. expect? Yeah. Even my mannerisms right now, very Jewish, even though I'm Italian. <laughs> what do you do? This, this, this. I, you think you're Catholic? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. The Jews had the, the moves, you know. Yeah. Between yeah. Jews and black people, we wouldn't have any show business without them. Exactly. You know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I know. I know. Wait a minute. I'm doing it now. Like the, <laughs> the amount of people. It's so funny, just because of of the way I speak. I think I honestly think I was probably raised by comedians. Because I watched comedy since when I was a kid, and literally every time I get off stage, people just assume I'm Jewish, which I have no problem with. But it's hilarious. Oh. Like, what'd you say? That's all right. Thank you. I, as long as I'm an honorary, uh, uh, you know, uh, Jewish, that, that's fine by me. I'll take it. You did grow up in Borough Park. Assume you're Jewish. Ask for more money. <laughs> I'll just say, listen. They have I'm, the best holidays. They have the best food. You know. Listen, 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> best best food. Uh, jelly rings I'm a big fan of. Black and white cookies. <laughs> uh, all the pastries. Uh, every single pastry is a Jew. Any Jewish bakery, man, uh, you'll find me there. Uh, uh, you don't need you don't need desserts, do you? Okay, what do you weigh? Nine pounds. <laughs> <laughs> it goes straight to my hair. Okay, well, all right. <laughs> Anyhow, show business is supposed to be fun. Comedy is the best part of it. And if you can make people laugh, it's the best feeling you can have with your clothes on. I mean, it's like oh yeah, just getting a laugh is a, is a great luxury and it's a feeling of accomplishment. Yeah. You know what you know what I've noticed a pattern about your career, and I think this just speaks to your intuitiveness and, and just your creativity in general. But from Jim Henson, everything you started, you started with excitement, like you said, and something new. I mean, working with puppets is a shot in the dark, and you decided to do the pilot for that. Laughing, leaving in all the mistakes. Everything you did was very innovative. Did, did you, you ever hear of Turn On? To, oh, uh, yes. It was the most famous show that was canceled, wasn't it? Yeah, I uh, They wanted to do another show, so right. I sold the idea of doing Turn On which was unlike anything that had ever been done on the air. And there was nothing made sense. And it was all, it all happened inside a computer and uh, the sound effects it didn't have music. It had sound effects and it was brilliant. And I took right. it to the network and the network said, this is the best thing we ever saw. And the commitment was for 13 shows. Wow. And when they saw the pilot, they upped it to 18 shows. They said, this wow. is genius. And it was all happened inside a computer. And uh, so, there was a guy in Cleveland who was a brain-dead station owner in Cleveland who they, they had Peyton Place on. And to put Peyton, to put Turn On on the air, they had to get rid of Peyton Place. So he called everybody and said, we can't let this happen. This show is terrible. And so he called all of the affiliates. So as the show opened in New York, came across the country to say, by the time it got to California, every station had canceled it because this one yo-yo uh said we can't put this on the air and so it remained and part of my deal to get any money at all was i had to promise never to air it so in my in my library there's this tape of a great show called turn on that was all optical and visuals and, and sound effects and all kinds of new innovative things and, uh, and uh i could never air it but it was i'm uh, more proud it was there canceled after 20 minutes you can show so it now though right I can't show it by contract. I have, to, I have to pay back the money. I mean, just all the guys who did that deal are dead now, fortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I may one day air it because it was brilliant. It was brilliant. Oh, wow. Was brilliant. Yeah, I'd love to see that, man. Um, I've had a number of those shows. I had a show called Burlesque is Alive and Living in Beautiful Downtown Burbank. <laughs> it's got Paul Reiner, Bobby Derrick, and the dancer was Goldie Hawn. Oh, my and God. And the show was on the air, and it was modern day burlesque show mm. and it was funny god it was funny and uh we did the show and everybody raved about it i mean i mean never had anybody react like that it was just positive but what happened was it got to new york and they wouldn't air it because they said goldie was too naked oh my I god said, goldie not wearing a lot of clothes could not have been a surprise <laughs> studio full of idiots that were just applauding and cheering and wanted to take her to lunch what the hell happened between California and New York? They never aired the show. So one of my hopes is one day I'm going to air this Burlesque show starring Goldie Hawn. Oh she was not wearing a lot of clothes, I'll tell you that. <laughs> she was one. Of, oh, I love that woman. Are you still in touch with Goldie Hawn? Oh, yeah. Goldie, oh. 
Lily, and Joanne, and Sarah Purcell. Wow. And uh, uh, I mean, I'm still friends with them because we went through real adventures back then. Back then, we didn't have the freedom to do what they could do today. So as a result, everything we did was an adventure. Right. And uh, uh, when Goldie, we gave Goldie introductions, and it was just so bad that it was hysterical. So we never let her rehearse. <laughs> and and uh, they came to me one day, and they said, the little blonde girl hasn't gotten anything right yet. <laughs> I said, well, you've got me there. And I said, well, I probably ought to get rid of her. No, don't get rid of her, but she's, she's cute, but she's never gotten anything right. I said, well, I have to talk with her. And yeah. I did. I said, it's just fine, Goldie. <laughs> This may, and, uh, this may be hard to choose from, but who would you say the funniest person you've ever worked with was? Probably Trump. <laughs> Purposely <laughs> funny. Well, then it would have been Nixon. Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> funny. Ac accident plays a lot in humor, you know? I mean, yeah. can you imagine, seriously imagine that Donald Trump was president of the United States? And people actually voted for him. Yeah. What do you do about that? And we're and, and unless we're careful, I mean, he's got 30, 75 million people voted for that guy. I know. So we can do anything. If anybody's watching your show, right? <laughs> and I do hope they are because I got an idea that you're going to need a job. <laughs> uh, 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 so, but. I'm but, waiting for you to I mean, give me a show. Just pluck me out of obscurity like Goldie and the rest of them. I'll do whatever you want. I'll wear skimpy clothing. I look good in like, a dress. If you look like Goldie Hunt, I'll give you a job. With <laughs> 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 Goldie, Goldie, and Lily, of course, Lily was just a, a delight. Everything, Lily would come in with an idea for a character, and we'd put her in the wake-up room and in the hallway, and she'd come out of that room with a whole person, a whole new person had been born. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, which he called William F Buckley Boy. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. What did, you, what did you think of comics at the time who were uh, like Richard Pryor, George Carlin, like those guys back in the day? Oh, we all fans of mine, uh, idols. I idolized them because they were the adventurers. They were the groundbreakers. They were the rule breakers. You know, mm -hmm. Tommy Tommy Smothers and George Carlin. Yeah, and, you know. And, and we needed them. We needed them to break through. And what they did, it was so controversial back then. Today sounds like a nursery rhyme, you know. Right. But we needed those groundbreakers. We needed those adventurers. We needed the the uh, uh, the rule breakers. And Steve Martin. Uh, well, Steve, yeah, well, Steve Martin. We did a thing once with Steve Martin, thanking all of the people in his career, and he got their names wrong. Major <laughs> Howard Foots, and of course my lovely wife Betty Babbitts. And he, would, and he kept thanking all of these obscure people, none of whom he'd ever met. And, uh, uh, it was still one of the funniest things Steve Martin ever did, thanking all the wrong people. Mm -hmm. uh, see, accident, accident's what's funny. You know, and it, there's a technique to accident. Uh, uh, if you see a guy walking down the street, that's not funny. Mm -hmm. If you see a guy peeling a banana, and now you see a guy walking down the street, you're on the way to a joke. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> uh, and yeah, and we we threw water on people. I don't know why we threw water on people, but somehow it was funny. And and funny, it's the best. It's the best feeling you can. Well, it's the second best feeling you can have. But mm -hmm. just the feeling of 
laughter, the freedom, yeah. the physical exercise of laughing. And, and it's, uh, and it's, a con- it's an emotional we connection. We haven't had any evidence so far tonight, but we add that in later. Okay, please put, put a laugh track underneath this later and then say, well, he was funny when he was here. That's all done in post. Uh, <laughs> listen, if you want to hear something funny, Trump, I just got a little message. Trump just announced he's running for president in 2024. So, Well, when they say Trump is running, and if they just leave it there, it would be all right. <laughs> but running for president, can you imagine in today's world we had... Richard Nixon is president. We yeah. had Ronald Reagan, who was a good guy, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and, I mean, and Donald Trump. Well, he wasn't just running. He was the president. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, uh, so what are we going to do about that? You, you, you can do something. You can alert the media. and uh, Like a, an air raid warning or something. I would love to. Well, hurry up. I, the, the, only problem, the only problem... Did, did Trump really just announce for sure? He really did just announce that he's going to be running in 2024. And the only problem with me announcing it to everybody is I can't get on the horse. It's a very, they're very tall animals. <laughs> I'm a short man. Well, I didn't notice that. I can't see <laughs> but, uh, uh, I mean, is that, never mind. Um, <laughs> But uh, uh, Richard Pryor and uh, George Carlin and Tommy Smothers and uh, yeah. Eddie Bruce, those guys were, were pioneers. They broke down all kinds of barriers. And uh, and part of the charm of what we did was the same, the idea of putting William F. Buckley on the air. <laughs> Reverend Billy Graham on yeah. laughing. Right. Reverend yeah. Billy Graham. And everybody said, you can't put him on the air. I said, we must put him on the air. And, uh, and and all of that stuff. There. I would just like to see more adventure. I would like to see Dave Chappelle, who I love. I mean, he's a charming, delightful man. Mm-hmm. But that thing he did the other night was just, was, I didn't know what he's talking about, you know? Yeah. Because no, there's, the, but there's, there's some of them out there. We need a new Richard Pryor. We need a new, uh, and Tommy Smothers. Have you talked to Tommy Smothers lately? I haven't been able to get him on. Really? Why? I don't know. I can't. I I have to try again. My would you say? Is it your fault or his? I think. I think his fault. I think. Uh, I think we haven't been able to get in touch with this. I'm going to go him. I'm going to blame. I'm going to. My, my manager, I think, is watching. I'm going to blame him too. Uh, <laughs> tell me, tell me, Smothers. Tell me, Smothers changed a lot of a lot of stuff, you know. And Absolutely. Was, as was Lenny Bruce. As was George Carlin. As with you know those guys. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, well, you created you're you're uh, you're a board member and supporter of the National Comedy Center in Jamestown, yeah. New York. What made you want to do that? Well, she called me and she said uh, I didn't know what they were talking about. And she said we have this this thing in New York, and uh, uh, she said, Do, "Could you send me? Could we have some of the laugh-in comics?" And I said, hmm. "Yeah," and I sent them to her, and she says, "Well." you have more? And I said, yeah. And she said, what else do you have? I said, I have a warehouse full because wow. I've got an endless bunch of series and, and specials and so forth. A lot of them involving comics, not, not all of them, you know, comics, a lot of, there was a lot of music in there, mm-hmm. but, uh, uh, and so then it just kind of grew and grew and grew. And I love the idea 
of honoring comedians because if there's a say if there's a way out of this mess it will be the comics will lead us out you're yeah. not gonna have you're not gonna have a straight guy lead us out you know mm-hmm. uh, and it will be a comic and i hope it's not uh, i hope it's not uh, trump but uh, uh but we <laughs> have we have to laugh and uh, uh it's the second best feeling you can have and was it and, the thing i love about the, the comedy center uh, is that it honors comedians that other people have also never even heard of. Was that was that something that was important to you? Hmm. I sent them a whole warehouse full of comedians hmm. that uh, nobody ever heard of because that's part of the, it's part of the joy. It's part of the adventure having somebody come on that nobody ever heard of. Right. Yeah. And, uh, uh, we see television. Television is an arena where we can put all of those on and treat them importantly. Uh, uh, we don't need a laugh track. We don't need uh, that. We just put them out there, and they're they're naturally funny. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, I'd like to see more women coming. Yeah, but it, it'll happen. It's see, strangely enough, the worse things get, the more important comedy becomes, and we're heading for a big one with this uh, convention they have. You know? Absolutely. Anytime the politicians the, or the lawmakers start to go after comedians, that's when you know uh, it's getting bad. They're afraid. See, the comedians are a big threat mm-hmm. because uh, 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 they're, they're dangerous. You know, right. they can say things, and uh, and so it's maybe it's going to be up to you. You know, you I'll do it me tonight, but it would be funny. But. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I know when we hang up, you're going to be hysterical. <laughs> How long have you been doing this? I've, I've, I've been doing, I've been doing stand-up comedy. It'll be 17 years this month on the 21st of November. And I've been doing this show for two years. You've been doing this for 17 years? I've been doing stand-up, yeah, stand-up comedy for 17 years, yeah. Oh. Yeah. And I'm just wor- waiting to work with you. That's all my. Once I work with you, it's adios, amigos, off into the sunset. Goodbye to me. That's happened to a lot of people. You've got to you got to make people laugh. You have to make people laugh. Cause that may be our answer. I and, agree. Uh, yeah. um, because it's it's getting worse. I mean, it, yeah. 75 million people. Voted I know. And now he just announced again tonight. Well, he just he just announced again tonight. Seventy-five million people voted for him, but I mean, what's the you know readership of the Enquirer? That's in the millions, isn't it? So there you go. You have a platform. I what do. are you going to do about it? I actually uh, believe it or not, if you can ask Tom, much to everybody's uh, chagrin, I use my platform on my Instagram to uh, espouse any kind of um, anti-Trump stuff. Um, I've written for Newsweek. Uh, against Trump. I have um, been on the news talking about it. I've gone on Sirius XM radio against, like, it, I, I do it a lot, actually. I do it's, it not a question of, it's not a question of being anti-Trump. Mm. It's a question of being pro-brains. Yes, I, I'm also that as well. And, uh, this was an excellent rehearsal. Mm-hmm. You know, what we ought to do is get together and do a real show where we talk about stuff. You know? Let's do it. I'm all for we should. I've enjoyed this a lot. He's he's kind of quiet, but I've enjoyed this a lot. <laughs> I'm enjoying you. <laughs> let, me, I have, let me know when you're going to be in uh, town here. And I, I absolutely can, will. 
Absolutely. Right? I have Definitely three questions so. that I ask every guest before we end the show. Oh, I want to ask you yeah. them. If... Okay. First question is, if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, what piece of advice would you give yourself that would help you today? Whoa, boy. Uh, I would read Goldie Hawn. <laughs> I, really, I hope that Goldie Hawn and Lily Tomlin have a litter. You know? How lucky can you have? How lucky can you get to have Goldie Hawn and Sarah Purcell and you know, Lily Tomlin and Artie Johnson and uh, Joanne Worley all in one career just happened. I mean, that's yeah. Uh, yeah. And Cher, I had great fun with Cher. Oh, nice. She's the you know, but I mean, I've been very very lucky in the people that have just kind of fallen into my trap. Beautiful. Uh, so I would, yeah, I would think that's the answer. What's the other question? Second question is what had to, what had to end in your life, good or bad, that led you to where you are right now? Hmm. Uh, I guess the, I guess it might might list vodka. Good <laughs> <laughs> and bad. No, I, I didn't have a drinking problem. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, that led me to where I am today. What led me where I am today is my wife, Jolene. Oh, nice. Into every life, one Jolene should, should enter. Because that's made my life. Uh, uh, it gave me respectability. It gave me credibility. It gave me love. and me understanding. Two wonderful children. And uh, I'm crazy about that woman. And... Uh, and if I wasn't married to her, I'd propose. I mean, she's just, she was, she was uh, a part of the Ernie Kovacs family. Wow. And uh, yeah. she was the girl in the, and she was the, uh, uh, anyhow, she was the girl in the tub. She was all, all, she was Zorro's leading lady. She was, yeah. uh, her stuff with uh, Ernie Kovacs. It's in the, you put in your show, look at Ernie Kovacs and look at the stuff that she did. She was wonderful. And she's Absolutely. Fortunately, she's not only gorgeous, but she's very patient. And that has helped our, our survival of a 65-year marriage. Wow. Wow. Very nice. You know, I mean, I get lucky or what, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, and uh, we're married 65 years. I hope she doesn't find out about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still crazy about this woman. If, if I wasn't married to her, I'd cheat on her. <laughs> it's just that she's a delightful gorgeous funny much more really more talented than i ever was and her relationship with ernie kovacs loomed large in our uh memory book i mean he was it's, he just loved jolene he just loved jolene nice anyhow that's the second question third question is you want to borrow money <laughs> that I was going to save that till we ended it. We talked to you backstage, but if if you know if you're offering, I'll take it. These buttons are expensive. Um, okay. <laughs> the the third question ties into the theme the buttons, of the show. The buttons, prove, the buttons do prove to me that you love comedy, so, so go ahead. I do. Thank you. Yes. Um, the third question has to do with the show. So, if this was a genuine dystopia, more so than it is now. And you had your choice. Uh, would it be like aliens or climate change or a comet heading toward the Earth? But you wake up and you find out it's everybody's last day. How would you spend it? I what would you be doing? I, I don't think I'd come over here. I, I mean, 
in the best possible way. Understandable. Sure. This is my last day on earth. I'm not sure this would be my first choice. <laughs> My last day on earth, I think I'd probably uh, marry Jolene again, just to be sure I got it right. Oh, nice. There you go. You know what? Can I come to the wedding? Why would you do that? <laughs> you, if you pay for it, you can come to the wedding. I mean, I, mean uh, uh, I can't even get into the wedding. We've been married 65 months. That's beautiful. She doesn't even look like that. You know, you I'm going gonna, gonna to be calling you for advice. Well, I charge. <laughs> I believe it. Um, I well, want to thank. This was fun, and we'll do it again and keep doing it till we get it right. <laughs> thank you so, so much, man. I, I enjoyed spending time with you. What time is it now? Do you know? Uh, yeah, by me, it's 938, I think. East for, Coast. Uh, for you, it's 638. Oh, this is longer than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be out here in 20 minutes. Look what you're doing now. This is I great you. you guys are great. And thank you for allowing us to come in and screw up your afternoon. Thank you so much, man. Thank it was a pleasure so having Such you. Such a pleasure. We'll talk soon. Thank hey, you. What Jolene. am I looking at? Oh, there we go. That's a picture of Jolene just a couple weeks ago. Oh, beautiful. Oh. How did you yeah. get her? Absolutely. Leo, you are <laughs> incredibly lucky. Oh, oh. She, uh, uh, yeah, I was, I was, and she stayed with me, so I'm still lucky. <laughs> Listen, ask, ask Jolene if she's in the room if you guys would adopt me. She's not in the room. But, uh, <laughs> all right, all right, I could call. I could. Right, she was right. actually, she was actually she in the room. It was like considered, but I think we could do better. <laughs> <laughs> You two lovely daughters and a lovely wife, so I'm not going to take any more chances. <laughs> Thank you. Understandable. Thank you for having us. Thanks, man. Thank you. Guys. Such a pleasure. Peace. Take care. Have a good night. Right. Time, for your, time for your nap now, little fella. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get to bed. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Dystopia Tonight.